I'm Adam Hergenrother, and this is Business Meets Spirituality. We believe in personal growth through business success. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Excited to release an episode uh, from a series that uh, is three parts to it called Thrive Not Survive. So for the next three weeks, we'll be sharing some recordings from the two-day event called Thrive Not Survive that we hosted for one of our companies, Livian. During this series, I addressed three main topics that will help you and your business not only survive, but thrive in this uncertain market, regardless of what business that you're in. First, we'll talk about daily habits and practices that will help you thrive every day. Second, I'll share how to show up and lead yourself first before you can lead anybody else, by the way, that is self-leadership precedes leadership. And lastly, I explain the 200% life and how you can thrive in both your inner world in your outer world, we have an inner experience and we have an outer experience. The 200% life is pulling both of those together. Hopefully you enjoy the show. Talk to you soon. So lead yourself first. This is uh, when I was thinking about what I wanted to kind of lead us off with today. Um, I wanted to talk about leadership because leadership is one of those things that it feels like airy-fairy. Like you hear the word leadership and people go, well, I'm a leader, but like, there's so many different definitions of leadership. And there's so many, I, I think it feels abstract when we talk about it, but let's, let's not make it abstract anymore. Leadership is about influencing other people. We'll get to self-leadership in a second, but leadership is about influencing other people to take a new level of action, which produces a new level of result that benefits them in the organization. So that's what that's what leadership is actual a verb. It's not an abstract concept. And this is where I really want people to understand this because leadership can feel very like, oh, it's like we're just sitting here. Like, and I, of course, I changed my tone when I said it, but like, it's not, it's an action verb. Leadership is action oriented. That's why we have to think of it that way. We think of leadership as getting people into action, right? in the best direction, by the way, I always think, I always think that the, the three things a leader must do, right? Number one is always casting vision and, and really casting vision. Don't get lost in the word. It just means you're telling everybody where you're going. You have a very clear sense of it in your head. Share that a lot, right? It's, it's, it's providing clarity direction to people to make sure everyone is clear on where you're going. Cause here's the thing. If you're running, if you're, if your vision is looking for a, a sunset and you're running east, it doesn't matter how, how, what your directions are, how much people work, how dedicated they are, you're never going to see the result. So that's why you have to understand where you're going. And then you provide the clarity and direction. And number three, and which we'll talk about here in a few minutes is about all about decision-making because that's what leaders are. Leaders work product is decision-making that gets people into action. So let's not, let's not think about leadership from here on out anymore as an abstract concept. Leadership is a verb. It's an action item. It's, it's, it's all about moving people in the right direction, right? And it's about getting them to take a higher level of action. And that's really what we're trying to do here in Thrive is getting everyone on these, on these calls. We have a thousand plus people here to really drive forward in, in leadership of some level. So leadership is not something that is just said is an action item. So every time you hear leadership, I want you to hear action. So when you think and you think I'm a leader, then you go quickly go into, then what level of action are my people taking? And what level of action am I taking? So we want to think about um, leadership in that terms. All right, so what does it mean to lead yourself first? Because the truth of the matter is you really can't lead anybody effectively 
until you're leading yourself first. You can fake it, certainly, and you can show up and you can train and you can read some books and regurgitate it. You certainly can. But over time, inauthentic leaders, people that are not leading themselves first, are seen through. And this is why you, you see sometimes they may be really good at bringing people in, but people don't necessarily stay. Um, so it's part of this is what does it actually mean to lead yourself first? And, and let's break this down because this is action oriented. Leadership, we talked about before, is a verb action oriented about getting others to take a new level of action that produces a better result. So leading yourself first is the same definition just for you, which means that I'm going to take a new level of action for me which puts me into a better position to be a leader, which that leader then gets other people into action. You see how this is very sequential here. So leading yourself first means that every day I'm going to do things that puts me into an action position that allows me to help others get them into action level. Because right now, particularly in our industry, it's really important that we're taking new levels of action in many different things. So then you wake up and you go, okay, but then I need to start with leading myself first. And this, look, there's, I didn't, I had a slide in here, but I kind of took it out because I didn't think it, I, well, let me just say like leading. So what are the ways you lead yourself first, right? It's some level of physicality. And here's the other thing about leadership. It's it, leadership. isn't doing somebody else's job. I think so many people think leadership, they hire somebody and they go, well, I've hired Michael, but like I can do his job better. So I'm going to go in there and do it. No, that's the wrong way to think about this. When you in leadership, when you hire somebody, it's about giving up the opportunity that you are doing to somebody else that can do it better because that's their focus. It doesn't mean they're better at it than you. It doesn't mean that it may mean that they're better at it than you, depending on what the job is. It just means that they're going to be better at it than you because that's what they wake up and do. You're no longer waking up and do all that. So I want that to be clear to people. That's part of leading yourself versus knowing when you hire somebody, you're giving up the opportunity. You're giving them the opportunity to run with it, fully run with it. Of course, there's accountability in there, but they're going to fully run with it. So uh, this could be physicality in terms of some level of movement, right? This could be journaling. This could be meditation. This could be reading books. This could be, you know, levels of training that you're doing for people. This, this could be volunteer programs that you're doing. Look, leading yourself first is basically comes down to this. It's doing things every day that everyone else knows is difficult and hard and challenging and that most people don't do it. And yet you still do it. It's like you're action oriented in those things and they don't even have to be the same thing. And people don't write you a note every day and saying, Hey, congratulations on getting up early and doing this. Like, no, they don't do it. You're doing it because you're doing it to better yourself for the betterment of the organization. You know? Um, so think about that when you think about leading yourself first, uh, it's really, really important. So in order to have leadership and then self-leadership, you need self-mastery. And this is a really a big one here. The way I define self-mastery is, it's on the screen, but I'll say it, right? Is self-mastery is overcoming the voice inside your head that tries to derail you from your goal. The other way you could say is self-mastery is overcoming that voice inside your head that, that constantly tells you no. I like to use the word that how it is, is like how it derails you, because that's one of the most important things that you can do, right? Because when we think about self-mastery, we think about overcoming things. And really what you're overcoming 
there may be an action item that you're overcoming, like a, you're in the middle of a climb or a run or in the middle of a lead generation session, session you're overcoming the, the, the impulse or the pull to not do it. But where that comes from is an internal state, right? It's like if I asked everybody on this call, like if you could create a robot to do, to do your job, what would you tell them? Everyone knows what to do. That's why I always think it's funny that we teach people what to do um, because everyone generally knows what to do. You have to be reminded of it. And the reason why you have to do it is because of self-mastery, which is overcoming that voice inside your head that derails you all the time. As an example, you go to bed at eight o'clock, your full intention to wake up and go for a run. I'm just using that as an example. That's six o'clock in the morning. Your alarm clock goes off at 5.30. Guess what instantly starts to happen? The voice, as soon as you become conscious that you're that you're conscious, you're always conscious, but you become aware that you're aware, right? That you've just woken up and that you're aware that it's early. And now you're aware there's this voice in there trying to derail me from, from actually going for my run. It just happens for everything. So actually self-mastery, which is all part of self-leadership and leadership, is you hear the voice and you go, huh, thanks, I'm going to go do it anyways. And you do it. It's when you're in your 30th call for a lead generation, you haven't hit your appointment, and, the, and it's going, well, you've done 30, you can stop. You go, no, I'm good, I can do a couple more. That is self-mastery. So when we self-mastery is the, is the, the, the action item the action that we take, even though that there's a psyche in there, the mind, that little voice in there, everyone has it, by the way, there's always a voice in there talking. If you don't, you're not alone. Everyone has that voice in there. And by the way, it's a subject object relationship. So remember that, right? That if you can hear it, it's not you. Just people become glued to it. We're not going to go down that path now. Anyway, so self-mastery is overcoming that voice that tries to derail you. Just bring that in there. All right. So on the same path of leadership, one of the best things that you can do uh, to be a highly effective leader, again, run it, whether you are an individual or you are running a team or a massive team, it's irrelevant, right? Awareness comes from clarity. Clarity comes from being uh, as centered as possible. So what does that actually mean, Adam, right? Well, everyone wants clarity. The clearer you are in something, there is not a problem with decisions. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But the more clear you are in something, the faster you go towards it, right? And use this example, if you land in an airport and all this, you know, and most of us do, and you're renting a car, you pull up Google Maps and it tells you exactly how to get there, when you're going to be there, your ETA, how the directions around there, and you feel relatively comfortable that you're going to be able to find it, right? Well, remember the day when you would fly in and there wasn't even a Garmin, right? Or a GPS system. You'd fly in and you'd have paper, like printout directions from like MapQuest or something, right? We used to actually, in 2006, that's how I actually used to map out like selling when I drive buyers around. That's what we use. I'm sure people can remember that. But remember, um, in that, and so imagine flying to the airport thinking you do it. All of a sudden you get in your car and your phone dies and you have, and you're already past the airport. You can't do anything. Now, how much slower and harder is it to get to your destination? Way harder, because you, you've now lacking clarity. Therefore, you actually slow down. So this clarity comes from you being as clear as possible and not caught up in the mind's chatter. I'm telling you, the, the, the next generation of leaders are just as committed to their inner growth as they are their outer growth. And outer growth is spreadsheets, bottom lines. We'll talk about that later at 200%, right? So think about that. The clear. So I always then wake up and go, 
well, how do I, how do I put myself in the best decision or the best possibility of being as clear as possible? The clarity has to come from you being centered. Let me give you another example. When you are disturbed, right? And just understand what that means. Meaning that like your things aren't going the way you want it and you're feeling these emotions, you're disturbed. Do you, you wouldn't say that you're clear. You're saying that I'm frustrated or I'm angry or I'm irritated or I'm jealous or I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling like a fraud, whatever it is that you're feeling. By the way, it's always, I always think it's fascinating. People tell me that And when we have time, I always go like, well, how do you, how do you know you're feeling insecure? And I go, well, well, because I'm feeling insecure. And I go, well, how do you know it's insecurity? They're like, I feel this thing. And I'm like, okay, well then how do you know? Cause then finally they go like, cause I'm in here and I can see, and I go, congratulations. Now you understand you, we having a human experience. It's so funny because we can actually detect the subtle difference of energy inside us. And we go, that's not jealousy. That's irritation. I'm actually not angry anymore. I'm frustrated. It's we're already doing this every day. It's so funny. And then we just don't pay attention to it. But that's how powerful we are, just understanding the subtle difference of energy that we feel. So the disturbance of the flow or the force, right, is the energy disturbance. And when you're disturbed, you're not clear. You may still make decisions and get through it, but you didn't do it from the highest probability of getting the highest outcome. And this is really the differences between organizations that are wildly successful, successful, mediocrely successful, successful, or that, that ultimately don't make it. It's these small, and we'll talk about this in decision-making. So the, so you want to then position yourself and go, well, I need more awareness so I can have more clarity. And the awareness, just that, that concept just means that I'm aware that there is these emotions going on, but that's not me. Because then you're able to sit and deal with it and have the clarity that you need. So I want, I want us to make sure we, we think about that because then that leads really into decision-making. You know, Jeff Bezos, when he was running Amazon, you know, he, he had a few things going on. He... Uh, he was interviewed, obviously a lot, but in one of the most famous interviews that he had, um, he they talked about like, you know, Jeff, obviously you've got a lot of different things going on. He goes, how much do you sleep? And he goes, well, I get eight hours sleep a night, which I think was shocked a lot of people when he first said that. And they go, so you get eight hours sleep? He goes, yeah. He goes, it's not necessarily about me working harder at this point. He's like, really, it's, it's sure I have to put my time in, but the reality is, is my job is to make three quality decisions every day. And so therefore, in order for me to make the best quality decisions, I have to do it before 10 o'clock in the morning because I'm the brightest. And I also have to make sure that I've gotten a certain number of sleep, hours of sleep, and that I've maintained my routine in the morning, which is some form of meditation, exercise, movement, right? A little personal time. And then he gets to his office and then he makes three quality decisions before 10 o'clock every day. And that was the description of his, his day. And, and he said, when I do that, my day is done at 10. And then everything else doesn't matter. When you are a leader at that level, when you're leading, your, your, your job, your work product is decisions. They're action-oriented decisions, getting people to move. So then I always just kind of work backwards and go, well, how do we make sure that we are in the best place? And what I really mean by that is that we're not disturbed. You're centered. You're clear. You have awareness to make the best decision. Because I think we all know that the clearer we are, I mean, the really clear that, and I don't mean euphorically high or euphorically low. I mean, you're, you're clear in both ways because you can go really high. Like how many people had some of the best months they've ever had financially over the last couple of years. And during those months, you were, everything was wonderful. It was great. And that decision-making led to a different spending outcome, didn't it? Well, 
if you if you weren't that ecstatic and that high from that, it doesn't mean you don't feel it, but you don't become it. You wouldn't have made those necessary decisions, which is why I always tell everybody, you look at the last five years of your life and you should average your income over a five-year period of time. And that's how you should base your spending on. Not one year or two years. It's, a, it's an average of what that looks like. Or the other way you can do that from spending is take a percentage of your income, 10, 15, 20, 30% of your income, and that becomes your fund bucket. And that's what you get to spend money on. So if your income increases, right? So does your, your fund bucket because your percentage. If it decreases, so does your fund bucket because it's a percentage. So that's kind of how people should make up financially for their life. We're going to do a whole financial course at some point. But anyways, so how do you set yourself up to make three high quality decisions. It's qual it's quality over quantity here. So I want you to really think about that. And the other thing that Jeff said was later on in the day, if there was a if there was an impactful decision that had to be made, I would not make it until the next morning. It's the same thing. If there's an email that you're coming in there and you're sending it out all hot and bothered at six o'clock at six o'clock at night and you send it out there, the next morning you get the reply and you look at your response to that and you go, why did I send that? That's what I mean by clarity. You're just better off. So this is self-leadership, leadership, self-mastery. Leadership, self the the, the uh, routines that you put yourself into are all designed for you to thrive in your business and in your day. And I really think it drives down to this. I, I firmly believe the differences between organizations, again, that are wildly successful or successful or marginally successful or mediocre are the individuals that are making decisions every day. Because it's not, if you ever actually hang out with somebody who runs a big company, even billionaires, like you look at them and you go, they're pretty good, but they're not that much better than me. And then, and, and then what you realize is they're not, they're actually very similar. The only difference is they've made better decisions every day for the last 15 years, the last 10 years. And that has geometrically changed the trajectory of their organization. That's what it is. Every day, if you become 5% better decision maker than everybody else, your business will look entirely different in a year, five years, and 10 years. That's how you operate. That's leadership. That is self-leadership. That is self-mastery. So what I want you to really focus on is how do I make three high-quality decisions that I know that are 5 to 10% better than my competitors so that in a year or five years or 10 years, we look drastically different than everybody else. So on that topic, you have to understand that you're never going to duck pain in life. It's just going to be there. You're not going to duck it. You're not going to be able to get away from it. No matter how easy you want to try to, no matter how much you think you can manipulate, the, I always call it the nouns, right? People, places, and things. It's still hard. So you have, you have the hard of mediocrity or you have the hard of building or growth. But the thing is, is you get to decide this, right? There's no pain in growing and there is pain, there's pain in growing and there's pain in staying the same. You get to choose. This is your vote that you get to have every single day. So again, it comes down to this, right? What, what, what hard do you want to choose? This is your choice right here, everybody. You get to choose right now, today, what hard do you want to do? Do you want to, do you want to try to go smaller in your life? to feel that like, if I go smaller, there's not going to be as much hard. It may be momentarily, but long-term it actually ends up becoming a hard decision. You'll see that in a few minutes, but I want you to understand that you have to choose your heart. So you get, it's like every day you get to vote. Do I want growth from my heart 
or do I want staying the same or mediocrity? Now, it's not staying the same as bad, right? And it doesn't mean anything or, or that you're enjoying the ride. It's not hard in terms of like you're white knuckling, like Michael said earlier, trying to make things happen the way you are. I just mean that there's going to be challenges in life one way or another. That's just what life does, right? I always like to put perspective on this, right? You've been here for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. The earth's been here for four and a half billion. You have no idea how you got here. You have no idea where you're going after this. You're just spinning around on a planet in the middle of nowhere. And it's like you're in Disneyland and you struggle. <laughs> it's just the funniest thing, right? It doesn't have to be that way. So you just choose and you go, life's going to do this dance and I'm going to grow with it. I'm not going to try to fight it to make it smaller and try to maintain something. I'm going to choose my growth, right? So you choose your heart, please. And, and the more you do that, the more you'll be able to vote for that. So think about hard rate and, uh, and, and decision-making this way. I'm just going to read this because I thought it, it's a pretty interesting. Razors, by the way, as we think of them as something that you shave with, obviously, the, the rule of thumb that simply that simplifies decision-making. The origin, by the way, of the term comes from philosophy, right? Or any principle that allowed one to quickly remove unlikely explanations or avoid unnecessary steps became referred to as a philosophical razor. A razor literally allowed its users to shave off explanations or actions. Think about that. This is about simplification. This is about decision-making, having really clear decision-making. So I want you to think about this and think of in in the context of your own life. Number one, the lion razor. If you have the choice, always choose to sprint and then rest. Most people are not wired to work nine to five long periods of steady, monotonous work. It's a remnant of the industrial age. Parkinson's law, one of my favorite laws, states that work expands to fill the time available for its completion. When you establish fixed hours to do your work, you find unproductive ways to fill it. You work longer, but you get less done. If your goal is to be inspired, I'm sorry, if your goal is to do inspired creative work, you have to work like a lion. Sprint when inspired, rest, and then repeat. How many of us do this, right? Where we look at, we look at, okay, we have a whole day. I know I should probably be there somewhere between 7.30 and 8.30. And I know I should probably be there between sometimes between 4.30 and 5.30, whatever it is. It's kind of your standard day, right? And you go, what can I, what can I put in here to fill it to kind of distract me throughout the day? And this is where we get stuck. That is a poor decision-making, by the way. Remember I talked about decision-making is how you lead your time. Self-mastery is overcoming the things you don't want to do that tries to derail you. Leadership is getting people in the right actions that benefit them in the organization. And self-leadership is you doing this. So you see how it all, uh, it's all built on itself up until this point. So you have decisions here. Am I just filling my time? Am I, do I go to bed at night going, man, it was a really long day and patting yourself on the back even though that the result didn't happen. And that's why I've always been a result-oriented individual because I was like, well, I can do things way faster. I'll tell you a fun story. I, uh, right out of high school, I'm sorry, right out of college, um, if you had told me during, I, I went to UVM for University of Vermont for finance and I, I went and it was part of this um, Wall Street seminar course and I was offered a job on Wall Street. You know, of course they say, you know, it's 80 hour work weeks and I was like, I'm going to do this. And then I ended up, I was dating somebody at the time. So I ended up staying up here and I got a job as a financial controller. 
And um, I'm sorry, a financial underwriter. And I remember uh, the first couple of days, like I, I, I had bought in real estate before I graduated college. So I kind of understood it a little bit more. And this was underwriting real estate deals. And at first I started underwriting these real estate deals. And I realized that um, for one, the, I thought these people making 200, 300, $400,000 were like gods or something. I started meeting with them and I realized that they're, no, they're not, and they're no different. They just, they just act a little differently. So that was, that was an aha. Number two, um, I ended up getting fired like 90 to 120 days after that, that I got hired because I remember getting a file to underwrite and I did it in like four hours. And they were like, I went to my boss and I said, Hey, look, I, I, I did this thing. Like I'm done. Like give me something else to do. Right. So I can do it. And she gave me the file back and she goes, you know, um, you really need to make this last until at least Thursday, because you're making the rest of us look bad. And I remember getting, I just remember that moment so clearly. I remember getting the file, walking back, and I'm like, I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to be my own boss, because I, 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 can, I just want to get things done faster. I want to sprint more and get these things done when I'm inspired and not fill my time with all these unproductive things to make it seem like I'm doing these things. So that's really, it was a really aha moment. And then I ended up getting fired from it. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, but that's what I mean by that. So then the uphill decision raiser, right? When you're forced with, when you're faced with two options, choose the one that's more difficult in the short term. There are two paths, easy now, hard later, or hard now, easy later. Naval calls this making uphill decisions, right? Overriding your pain avoidance, or the other way you could say this is overriding the voice inside your head that tries to derail you, that self-mastery instinct and choosing the path that looks more arduous, right? It's worth it. Short-term pain typically creates, listen to this, short-term pain typically creates compounding long-term gain. Remember that. So again, this is where we really focus on these decision makers. I mean, you, you leadership, self-leadership, self-mastery, decision-making, how do you make decisions is really the concept of this, right? Because this is how we're showing how leadership is action-oriented. It's a verb. It's not a static, abstract concept, right? This is how you actually become a better leader. All the things we've talked about so far. So what is your decision-making framework? So how do you make better decisions? Because if, we, if we're talking about decisions, then how do we make better ones? Verse number one, and I've kind of hinted to this up at this point, center yourself and get clear. If you are not centered, do not make decisions. And I mean centered when you're just made a lot of money and you're euphorically high. And I mean centered if you just lost a bunch of deals or lost money. Because <laughs> either one of those extremes, you end up making a poorer decision. You just do. You still may be fine. I'm sure you will. It's not that it's wrong. It's just not the highest probability, right? It's like it's when you center yourself and get clear, the highest decision that you can make becomes available. That's it. It becomes available. So this is why this the first thing that you need to do, and you can you already know this. You're all your own psychologist. If you are disturbed and you send an email. How much do you always regret sending that email? 99% of the time, right? I know it feels good in the moment to actually do that, but it really doesn't feel good long-term. It doesn't benefit you long-term. And remember, we're looking for long-term compounding growth as a leader. The organizations that are wildly successful have better leaders making better decisions 10% of the time every single day. That's how they compoundingly look better 
in a year and five years. So you see the process here, right? So that's that, the more centered you can be. And then again, you can always work backwards from this. How do you put yourself in the best position to make the best decisions to be the most centered you can be? You also become a more fun human being to be around, by the way. Because then when things happen, you're able to actually deal with it. Imagine being a doctor and not being able to handle blood. Like how useful would you be? That's how I feel like most leaders think they are. They're, they're, they're great leaders when things are going well, but when things get tough, man, they, oh, I can't really handle this. Well, then you should not be a leader. Or you need to let that part go to get more centered and actually act. So again, always center yourself, get clear. What is the long-term outcome, not the short-term outcome? It's very clear in, in, in decision-making times that we look for, how can I get out of this really quickly? Let me just even simple examples. People probably now are having sellers not selling their house. And it's like the whole call reluctancy, right? It's like, well, I'll call my seller today. And then you get to the day and you're like, well, I'll just call them tomorrow. I'll call them tomorrow. And then in a couple of days, you're like, well, I'll just call them after the end of the weekend. That We may have a showing, so it'd be better to call them after that. And you're convincing yourself to not call this person. You're spending so much time and energy doing this. And finally, the seller calls you and says, uh, Adam, what's going on in my house? I haven't heard from you. I haven't done anything. And then now you're, it's a worst outcome versus just going, what is the long-term outcome? We need to have a conversation that's I'm going to do it right now. Pretty hard, right? This, that's decision-making. You see how everything leads. The decision-making leads into an action item, right? Leadership is action-oriented. Triangulate information. As a leader, one of the most important things to do, and if, if, you, have, if you lead other people, you've probably seen it this way. A problem occurs. You, you first hear about it from one person. And they're going, and I'm just going to, because I have people on the screen, I'm just going to use people's names. They come in here, Michael emails me or calls me and says, I can't believe Eric and Matt said that. And Joe jumped in there and did those things. I couldn't believe what they said. And you're, you're, you're listening to Michael and you're going, I can't believe they would do that either. This is crazy. Like, I can't believe they would actually do that. And then you, then you get Eric on the phone and, and you hear his version. You go, well, that's different. Like, I can't believe Michael. Would, I couldn't believe Michael said, it's not what he told me. And then you go, on Matt and Matt's going, then you're going, well, I couldn't, I, now I see it from his perspective. Then you talk to Joe and he's got a completely different perspective. And you know what? They're all right. They're all wrong. So part of being a leader is knowing that you're always right. And you're always wrong. So just walk into every situation knowing that part of you is always wrong. It just humbles you from the beginning. You're never 100% right. It's like in science, you never put 100% accuracy on anything, right? Ray Dalio is, I think is the master at this, right? Which he always walks in there proving trying to be wrong for his own thoughts because he knows that a part of him is definitely wrong because he's just seeing a perspective of this. So leadership decision-making framework comes from triangulation of hearing different components from everybody. And then that's when you take it all in and go, okay, I have a better picture. We do this a lot in Keller Williams with the blind men and the elephant story, but it's the same, but you have to apply this to leadership. You have to apply this to, you know, when you hear, you know, certain outcomes, you know, from somebody in the, in the industry and you're hearing something and then you got to jump in there and actually see it. You hear it from one person, you go, yeah, I don't really know if that's true about that person. And you just triangulate information. So being a better leader is triangulation. Once you do, by the way, so you've centered yourself, you've determined a long-term outcome. You've now gathered the information that's there. Now you're ready to make the decision because that's what leaders do. It's your work product. So now you're deciding and you're communicate the decision. So you decide, make it, communicate the decision. Then once the decision is made, you refocus the team and execute, right? I, I've, I've used this framework, by the way, um, recently when people have asked, they said, hey, Adam, um, I've got a, uh, um, 
I've got a, a really tough situation where I have to let go of a few people here. How do I handle this? I go create first, clear, get clear, center yourself. What is your long-term outcome? Right. And then, right. Is that the long-term outcome? What is it? Great. Triangulate information. Does anybody else need to pull in here? Do you hear anything else? Once you decide and then you execute and then you communicate the decision and then you refocus the team. This is really important. A lot of people get a couple of these steps, right? And they miss the last one, which is refocusing team and then executing. Remember, you always have to refocus the team and execute. Okay. So as you're building through this and at some point in your leadership journey, you're going to need resilience. And I'm particularly right now. And the way I like to think about resilience is it's, it's resilience again, is one of those, those concepts that can be abstract, but it's really action oriented. You think about leadership and, and resilience and self management all these things are just North stars to guide you in directions, but they're all action. They're verbs. Always think about these things as verbs. They're not concepts that you throw around in a book about people who've never even led anything, right? And people like to talk about leadership in a philosophical way, which is fine, but it really doesn't move anything if that's what you're doing. It's got to be action oriented for all of these things. So the ability to bounce back bounce beyond, not back when faced with adversity. Resilience is the ability to bounce beyond. So you lose money in a month. How do you bounce beyond? You have to let somebody go. How do you bounce beyond? One of your agents just left. How do you bounce beyond, right? Whatever it is, you come home and your partner says, you want to have a conversation with you about a relationship. How do you bounce beyond? It, it, it's irrelevant. You miss a day working out. How do you bounce beyond? Don't fall prey to something that is not going to allow you to bounce. That's what really resilience is. And we started this yesterday morning with talking about 2023 is about resilience, which is bouncing beyond. So there's six pillars of resilience, right? Number one, confidence. This is really, really careful. Confidence, right? Number two, adaptability. And what I mean about confidence is it doesn't mean you know how to solve the problem. It just means that you know that you will pull yourself through this. And right now, insecurity is like the opposite of confidence. So if you're feeling insecure or a fraud like a leader, right, whatever that is, in real conversations right now across the board, people are going, man, I didn't realize how much the market made me look better. Okay, great. That's fine. Let's not, let's bounce beyond this, right? You've admitted it. You're aware. Now you're centered. Now let's have the confidence to solve this, right? Let's have the confidence to do this together. Number, so that's, that's really where confidence shows up. It's got to be number one, right? It's got to be number one adaptability. This is, again, is just your ability to adapt to new conversations, to new skill sets, right? All of these things. If you're holding on to adaptability right now and not leaning into it, you're going to be left behind. Adaptability in our industry right now is going back to basics. Again, I started yesterday. It's about selling a damn house, right? That's adaptability in what it is you need to do. Three, you can just say gratitude or positivity. It just means you have a, you have a perspective on life. And we, we chatted yesterday uh, a little bit of, of what is your kind of, how do you win life or what does a meaningful life mean to you? And I, I don't think, I think people would say maybe different words because they mean something, but I think in general, people would say, I had a really wonderful life because I got to experience and enjoy my life. Well, just gratitude for life. So whenever there's, there is this a period to have to use resilience harder, or there's challenges that show up and there are real challenges show up, Right. It's when you bounce beyond, you have this sense of gratitude for, and this, I get to rewrite this. I don't know. This is, this is a new chapter. This feels different than it did the last two years. That's how you bounce beyond. But you know what? I'm grateful that I'm here being able to do this because there's 99% of the world would trade places with you in a heartbeat to take on your problems right now. They would. 
Remember, there's 300, 400 million people in the U.S. There's seven, I think, eight, eight, we just passed eight, right? Eight billion people in the world. They would trade places and take your problems, every single one of them, in a heartbeat, and be grateful for the problems they're facing. That's how you bring that in there. Number four, perspective. Bringing better perspective in your life. Five is about mastery, right? Which is about making sure that you are focused on your craft, if getting better at it. And six is just the consistency or stamina. That becomes really, really important in it. So these are the six pillars of resilience. I want to spend a few minutes on this because as a leader, one of the most important things you can do is think bigger. But yes, and again, thinking bigger has this abstract concept to it. It's like, yeah, I'm going to think bigger, bigger and I'm going to increase my goal. And I'm going to do this. But let me just explain why we do this. It's really important to understand this. When, when we set a goal, the goal in itself, so let's just, if you think on the thinking side and time and effort, right? And let's say the smaller gray box, I'm just going to use numbers income-wise because it's easy. Let's say you say, you know what? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make $75,000 this year. It's great. There's nothing wrong with the amount of money. I'm just using it to illustrate the example. So forget about the numbers. It's irrelevant. And when I say $75,000, what happens is that thinking has now triggered and layered in this box that I now operate in. Because now it's going, who do I have to become to make $75,000? Who do I have to be in business with to make $75,000? How many clients do I need? How do I operate this? What kind of database do I need? What kind of systems do I need, right? So you now set this box in motion that basically is now dictating your actions because the actions are driven by your current level of thinking. So, because what, what thinking is, is asking yourself a question and then also answering it inside. You're the only one that hears your thinking, by the way, at least for now, right? So you're in there asking yourself a question, thinking it, and that translates into an action. So that's why leadership is such an action-oriented idea. And thinking big is one of the most important things we can do as a leader. And this is why. Because if you, if you set the sites of your company to go, well, it's $75,000, who, what, how, who you people are surrounding yourself with looks completely different. If I were to wake up and say, well, I want to make $10 million a year. And again, the numbers are irrelevant for me. I'm just using it to illustrate the example. Well, $10 million looks a little different. Who you have to become, your journey, by the way, looks completely different, right? Who you have to be in a relationship with, the people you have to hire, your benefits package, your, your marketing, your campaigns, the systems, how big your world has to go, the growth and suffering that comes, and we're not the word suffering, like just the growth or pain that comes from that is different. <laughs> it's all different. It's, it's, but it, it creates much bigger actions in your life that way. And I want you to translate this into every part of your life. Physicality, right? You can do the same thing, physicality. The, and, and I'll get to the goal of all this in a second. Do this with your partnership. We started talking about that earlier. Your, your, your intimate partner, right? What kind of relationship do you want? Do you want an eight relationship with your partner or a seven? Or do you want a 10? If you want a 10, that's going to look, who you are is different. How you act with them is different. What you do with them is different. How you show up is different. You don't come home and take it out on the safest people around you. That's not a 10 relationship. So think about how big you're thinking in all of this. This is why it's so important. And the goal of a leader, by the way, is to make sure that nobody ever hits this ceiling. Your goal is to keep expanding the box so that it expands bigger so other people can support inside there. And you continue your growth along this journey. And you do this from the spiritual side, from the personal side, from the physical side. You just keep expanding that all of this. 
That's what thinking bigger really means. Remember that. It's selfish. So on all of this, you need to have um, you, you, time to grow, right? And I think people think about selfish being a bad thing. Um, well, at least the term has, right? It's got this kind of negative connotation to it at times. But there's really two forms of selfishness, right? There's the ones that it's like, I'm sitting on a couch. I'm going to just sit here and and everyone should do everything for me. Uh, and the world should basically be my, you know, they should be my slave, right? They should do whatever it is they want to do there. Well, that's sure. Yes, that's a negative form of being selfish. It's all about you. It's the, not about anybody. You're not doing any of those things. But there's another form of selfishness, and we often just soften the language around this to, to really mask selfish behavior. But um, it's it's we have to get beyond that. Like it, we use this in different ways. We go like, well, I'm having a girl's night or a guy's night, or I need some personal time. That's being selfish. It's it's be, it's not a bad thing. I don't know why we think of it that way. That's why I, I explain it like this. Because there's so many people I talk with, they're like, I don't have time in the morning. I, I, what, I couldn't do that. I couldn't take my own time. And I go, hold on. Stop for a second. You're trying to tell me that you can't take an hour for yourself because you need to be there more importantly for somebody else than not even up yet. Or you're doing something for somebody else. You need to do this. And I always love to use the example of the heart here. Because I don't know if you realize this, but the, the heart actually uses about 85 or 90% of the most rich nutrient blood in the body. However, the heart, while doing this, then distributes the most rich nutrient drugs, uh, uh, blood in the body to other areas. And it's the same thing here. If you spend time growing yourself as a leader, morning and the evenings, whatever it is, that could be exercise, meditation, reading, focusing, masterminding, whatever that is, you're taking that time for yourself. That in its that in itself is you taking in taking in more things to grow you, which then you're contributing to the rest of the world. And this is why, or the rest of the people around you, or your one other person, or whatever it is, you're continuing to grow. So at some level, we have to be selfish with our time in order to be able to grow everything. And it's a course that though I always think of the old adage or the the easy example, which is if a plane's going down, right, and the oxygen mask comes down, you put yours on first before you can help somebody else's. It's the same thing here. You need time for yourself. If you can't find 30 minutes or an hour for yourself, email me, please. I will find it for you because most of the things you're doing is unproductive anyways. So selfish is not being a bad thing. It's actually a really positive thing when you can find time for yourself that's growing you, which then you allow that to leak into everybody else. That's action-oriented. That's leadership. Uh, it's not abstract there, right? So leadership is also about driving culture. And culture is how you thrive. Thriving is your culture. But what is your culture? Culture has to equal production. It's funny, I'm doing this. Inman just um, had an article today all about um, that I wrote for all about culture. And it says in the headline, it says, and hint, it's not taco parties in top golf, right? Culture is not... These, the, those are perks, by the way, having pizza and, and, and drinks or top golf, those are perks of the organization. When you have culture of production, people are winning and thriving in their, in their areas. That's what drives it. So how do you do this? Right? Well, time is not your cheat, by the way, right? It's not, you won't show up over time unless there is true inspiration there, right? Have you found yours? And it's not about serving you. It's about serving something greater than you. At some point, you have to make this transition. You have to make a decision and draw it in the hard line. Whatever decision in front of you that you've been delaying making, what is that decision that you right now currently have been delaying? Remember, leadership is action-oriented. It's action-oriented. 
It's a verb that is making decisions as an action, which leads to more action from people in the best direction for them in the organization. You also, um, well, I always think about time is not cheap because we all have 24 hours in a day. So it's not about that. It's again, I use the Parkinson's law. It's not about filling up your time. It's about being more productive with it. So when you think about if you spend the, the, you become the most people you spend the time with three or five people, everyone always goes to who are your top three. I would ask a different question. It says, who are your bottom three? Who do you go to to actually feel more superior? Who do you go to because you know you can feel more secure around them, right? And Nate, are they the right people to be around? It's for you to decide. You fail the plan or you're planning to fail. It's not a learned habit. This is E to P. You need plans. You need strategic plans to follow, right? And of course, in any of this stuff is consistency, the secret sauce. I never want you to be wealthy for a day. I never want you to be healthy for a day, right? I don't want you to have a partnership that's wonderful for a day. I don't want you to enjoy time with kids for a day. So is everything you're doing sustainable? The consistency matters more than anything, right? It just does. So make sure that you're building habits that really support the consistency of what you're doing. It's just, it's there, right? All right, watch your habits. Stay focused in the morning so you can stay in control internally in a world that is very uncertain right now. We can't control or predict the outcomes of the days and months ahead, but we can make up with a, we, can, we can wake up with a sense of purpose each morning. I intend to lead in a very uncertain world. Therefore, I must lead myself first. Stay focused on your key habits. Lean away from the pole to make poor decisions. We will thrive together. So just think about this for a second, right? I intend to lead. You're going to lead. You're leading yourself. You're leading your family. You're leading others. You also need to follow too, but you're leading in a very uncertain world. It's always going to be uncertain. You have no idea what's going to happen. You have a probability of things, yes, but you have no idea really what's going to happen. Therefore, you must lead yourself first. And we talked really about what this is. Leadership, self-leadership, self-mastery, right? All of these are action-oriented verbs that get people to spur different action, including yourself first. So remember, stay focused on your key habits, what those are. They've been modeled and documented many, many times. They always have something to do with exercise, meditation, journaling, podcasts or books or things like you're doing right here. Focus on your key habits. Lean away, please. Lean away from the pull to make poor choices. There's a pull in there, isn't there? Like when you're sitting there staring at cookies and you know you shouldn't in the morning, there isn't much pull to go into cookies. Seven o'clock rolls around at night. This pull is stronger, isn't it? This is why we stay centered because we become aware that there is a pull there. The pull then wants to take us and we allow ourselves to indulge in the pull and then you're gone. If we talk about companies and businesses that exceed wild expectations and they avoid the necessary they avoid themselves being pulled to make unnecessary decisions in their lives. So in order to do this, in order to make the best decisions, center yourself and be the leader that you are, that we all are in today's market that everyone is looking for, you need to avoid that pull. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later when we wrap up 200% life, but avoid the pull. It's a real pull and it wants to pull you in there. And together, when you do this, we got you, we will thrive together. That's what organizations do. All right. 1001, right on time. Roll into this. Awesome. Michael, hey, Adam, 
Adam, real quick, you know, how do you, how do you avoid like, you know, some of those like instant like temptations? Like I think about this, you know, it's like, we're always, I'm always attracted to the cookies, but like, what's the one thing you can say in your mind, like instantly, you know, or, or just at that moment to kind of dole that out, dole that sensation. Great question. There's two things that I use, right? I always go, I can handle this. So something shows up and it like, there's an impulse that's like, I'm really angry and I want to go you know, yell at somebody or write an email. I go, I can handle this first. Let me handle what I'm really saying is I'm going to handle the emotion first, then act. So I always just repeat, I can handle this. I can handle this. I can handle this. The second one is the three, two, one, relax. And three, two, one, relax. It's like three, two, one, relax. And you drop your shoulders. You just breathe out. You just breathe out, especially with the cookies. That one works well. And here's the other thing. Just go put them in the trash. Right? Like it's like, seriously, like, at some point, just don't have it in there. If you know you can't control it, just get rid of it. That's really what it is. Hey, everybody. Before you leave today, Hallie and I want to thank everyone who has left us a review. It really does make a huge impact in helping us get this podcast into the hands of other conscious leaders. Here's what Sean had to say. Sean from Albuquerque says, I have listened to Business Meets Spirituality from the beginning, and there are so many important principles and lessons on how self-leadership precedes leadership. In order to grow your organization or business, you have to lead yourself first. And I have learned how to go inward in order to achieve the level of growth I must obtain in order to grow my business. This is a must listen for any type of business owner. Thanks, Sean, for leaving us a review. And by the way, please let us know what you like about this podcast or what you would like to see more of by leaving us a review wherever you listen to our show.